This week on Blue 58, we're officially a week into free agency and everything looks different in Green Bay. Jordy Nelson, Demarius Randall, and Morgan Burnett are gone. Jimmy Graham, Muhammad Wilkerson, and Deshaun Kaiser have arrived. So are the Packers any better? And what do they do going forward, particularly in the back end of their defense? Plus, why is it so important to pretend that decisions aren't at least in part about money? Blue 58! Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be back with you after a week-long, two-week-long, I guess, hiatus. How do you really count that? It's been two weeks since we've released an episode, let's just say that. And boy, has a lot happened. Rather than sticking to our three headlines in a main topic sort of format that we typically do, let's dive right into everything the Packers have done since we have last spoken to each other. Well, since I have spoken to you. Sound good? Good. Before things even got underway in the quote-unquote legal tampering period, the Packers made a move. The first big move of the Brian Gutekunst era. He decides to trade cornerback to Marius Randall to the Cleveland Browns in exchange for backup quarterback Deshaun Kaiser and uh, for the right for the Packers to switch places with the Browns in the fourth and fifth rounds of the upcoming NFL draft. At first blush, uh, there's a few things going on here. Behind the scenes, Demarius Randall had reportedly asked to be switched to safety. Packers didn't want him there. They have always thought of him as a cornerback and wanted to play him at cornerback. The Packers also had some issues with Randall. Uh, in the locker room, apparently there were some members of the, the Packers team that were not a real big fan uh, of Randall and the way that he ran his personal operation, and I think that is understandable, knowing some of what we know about Demarius Randall. All that together uh, makes the Packers willing to move him. Uh, in return, they get Deshaun Kaiser and some draft considerations. Kaiser, kind of a bigger, younger version of Brett Hundley. Uh, you got to like his arm, big, strong arm. Uh, the draft picks might be the best and really only short-term benefit for the Packers. It's hard to see any other short-term benefit because really you're hoping that Kaiser doesn't play. But swapping those positions in the, in the draft could be uh, a big benefit for the Packers here in the short term. Some questions, though. First, did the Packers make a hole in their secondary where they didn't have to? It kind of seems that way, although you really should only put up with a malcontent for so long. If things just aren't getting better, he's not changing at all. You shouldn't keep trying to fix a situation that just isn't going to get fixed. So the Packers, right in part to move on there from Randall. But they are also creating another question mark uh, at the cornerback position where they already had plenty of questions. But Uh, On the other hand, the Packers are also freed from having to decide about Randall's fifth-year option. The Browns get to sort that out now. And how do you run that calculus? Do you want to pick up his fifth-year option as a safety? Do you think it's even worth picking up his his fifth-year option, given that he hasn't played safety super regularly in the NFL, though he did it a little bit last season? That's all uh, questions the Packers don't have to worry about now. So if there is an immediate short-term benefit to not having Randall on your roster, that is one. Second question, is Kaiser any good? Um, Not sure. (laughs) He didn't look like it last year, at least from a statistical perspective. But I think if you watch him on tape, you can see NFL throws. And I think you see them a bit more regularly than you see them from Brett Hundley. I think Kaiser probably has a higher ceiling than Hundley. He's not at his ceiling right now. And I think right now they're probably equal. So... 
Whether or not he's any good, I'm not really sure. Uh, it, it is an interesting option going forward. But that leads us into the third question about this. What does this mean for Brett Hundley? Also, not super sure there, but it doesn't seem good. Uh, Hundley has been groomed to be the number two quarterback for quite some time. And for the last two seasons, it's been him and nobody else. There's been no serious competition for Brett Hundley behind Aaron Rodgers. Now he's going to have to work for it. He would have had to work for it in 2017 if Taysom Hill hadn't been cut by the Packers for some reason at the end of training camp. But let's not open that particular can of worms right now. Okay, once the Packers actually get to free agency, things start to happen in earnest. Uh, The Packers make a couple big moves early on in free agency. First, uh, kind of a pair of moves that both correspond to each other. Hello, Jimmy Graham. Goodbye, Jordy Nelson. The Packers signing Jimmy Graham to a three-year deal. The corresponding move, releasing Jordy Nelson to clear up the cap space that the Packers need to sign Jimmy Graham and to make a later move uh, along the defensive line. Some thoughts about this. This seems like a solid move, but not a home run. Uh, I think there's a cap on the excitement that you can have about this move because this is not 2013. If the Packers were getting the 2013 version of Jimmy Graham, you should be as excited as you could possibly be about uh, the Packers and their prospects for the, the 2018 season because that version of Jimmy Graham was unbelievable. 2018 Jimmy Graham, I am less convinced, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. If you didn't see this coming, at least as a possibility for Jordy Nelson, I don't know what to tell you. We've been talking about this for a long time. Everybody who writes about the Packers has been talking about the possibility of Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, or Clay Matthews being released. Of those three, Nelson probably makes the most sense to release. He did the least in 2013 or 2017, stuck on 2013 for some reason. Uh, he is the oldest and he's expensive. And uh, I think there is reason to believe um, that he's not going to improve a whole lot over what we saw in 2017 in 2018. But this also isn't just a one-to-one trade for reasons we'll get into when we talk about more Packers moves here in a second. A couple questions, though, related to this move. How much of Jimmy Graham's apparent decline over the past couple of years in Seattle was due to age and what was due to how they used him? Since he's come into the league, Jimmy Graham has been essentially a very, very, very large wide receiver. And in New Orleans, they lined him up as a wide receiver the majority of the time. His final year in New Orleans, he took more than 300 snaps from the slot as a, as a split-out tight end, basically a receiver. It took until his third year in Seattle before they used him even 200 times there in a season. So they weren't really playing to his strengths, which may be one reason that you saw him disappear sort of between the 20-yard lines. He pretty much was only a red zone threat in Seattle because they weren't using him as effectively as they probably could have. But still, he is 31 years old, and players entering their 30s, uh, particularly at positions that depend on a lot of athleticism, tend to decline as they go deeper and deeper into their 30s. There's no reason to not be at least a little concerned about age-related decline. On similar lines to that, will the Packers look sillier for cutting Jordy Nelson based on his 2018 performance? I don't think so. I think Jordy Nelson's legs are gone, and I think that's why you saw him struggle so much in the second half of the 2017 season. You guys, Jordy Nelson averaged 7.2 yards per catch 
with Brett Hundley at quarterback. 7.2. That's like Richard Rodgers level numbers. He did nothing after the catch. He could not get downfield regularly. And if he did get downfield, it wasn't quick enough to get on Brett Hundley's radar. Derek Carr is not the superstar that he has made out to be. He's still probably in the top half of the league in terms of quarterbacks where he ranks there. I am skeptical as to whether Derek Carr can be an effective quarterback for Jordy Nelson. I think when you saw Jordy Nelson have success in 2017, it was because of his relationship with Aaron Rodgers and how they were always on the same page and how Nelson was such a smart football player and Rodgers would extend plays and basically get Nelson open and Nelson would do a good job of finding soft spots in opposing defenses. I don't think that Derek Carr can do that for Jordy Nelson. I may be wrong, but just at this point, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to end up uh, making the Packers look silly here. Moving right along, also early in free agency, the Packers striking a deal with Muhammad Wilkerson. Uh, interesting, interesting player. Big, physically talented. He played with Mike Pettin in New York, though his best seasons uh, for the Jets did not come until after Pettin had left, first for the Bills and then for the Cleveland Browns. He is primarily an interior rusher, but the great thing about Muhammad Wilkerson is he can line up just about anywhere that you need him along your defensive front. I love this move, and I think it's probably the defining signing of the Brian Gutekunst era so far. This is really what change looks like. This is what being aggressive in free agency looks like, to me at least. Uh, I'd like to read a couple paragraphs from the post uh, that I did on the, the Wilkerson signing at thepowersweep.com, if you will indulge me here, because I think this says about as well as I could say it here, uh, what I believe about the Wilkerson signing. So, quoting from that piece now. Beyond Wilkerson's reasons for signing with Green Bay, there's an interesting sea change afoot here. Though we have precious little to go on, Ted Thompson's free agent signings in Green Bay followed one of two patterns. Longer pay-as-you-go deal that essentially break down into year-by-year evaluations of the player, think Charles Woodson, Julius Peppers, or even Martellus Bennett, or bargain basement one-year agreements like Jari Evans and Jared Cook. The former gives the team protection in the short term with the ability to retain the player long-term if they so desire. The latter gives the team a chance to fit smaller contracts under the salary cap easily, slotting higher upside veterans along affordable undrafted free agents and rookies. Gutekunst's deal with Wilkerson follows neither of these archetypes. The Packers have no long-term security with Wilkerson. If he blows up this year, he's probably gone. Likewise, though his contract is affordable, it's not like he's playing for the veteran's minimum. If he plays well, he'll stand to have a solid payday, though not as much as he would have made had he stayed in New York. That the Packers would sign Wilkerson to such a deal is very interesting. It's something we never saw from Ted Thompson, though fans begged for it for years. Anybody can give out a deal that can be rescinded after a year. That's not a risk. That's not aggression. In this signing, at least, the Packers have shown they are willing to spend now without regard for what it could mean for the future. That, more than anything else they've done so far, is what aggression in free agency looks like. End quote. This leads into an interesting discussion, I think, about cap numbers and salaries and things like that. Uh, by and large, you can ignore the numbers that get reported um, 
as far as player signings and things like that. You really got to dive in to see how the deal is structured and how cash is flowing. It's a factor in the deals that the Packers have made so far, especially with Jimmy Graham, since Wilkerson's deal is a one-year deal. And it's a factor in their attempted signing of Kyle Fuller, which we'll talk about in a second. It's a factor, it's going to be a factor when we learn more about Morgan Burnett's deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers and how the money really plays out there. It is interesting to note that between the Graham deal, which is reported as a three-year, $30 million deal, and the Wilkerson deal, the cap hits still end up being about what the Packers would have paid for Jordy Nelson in 2018. Only about $200,000 more, in fact, than Nelson's 2018 cap hit. I think trading 2018 Jordy Nelson for 2018 Jimmy Graham and 2018 Muhammad Wilkerson is as close to a no-brainer as it gets. Yes, they are aging players as well, but you're getting two players, two chances to improve your team as opposed to one, and I think that is at least a win-win. Maybe not slanted heavily in favor of the Packers. Speaking of contracts, Let's talk transition tag for a second. This is a fun one. The Kyle Fuller situation was very, very interesting, and I had fun writing about it late last week. Uh, Or was that earlier this week? Good grief, what day is it? I'm all out of sorts. Moving is just the worst when it comes to keeping track of time because every day, you know, sometimes you have those feelings like, oh man, today just feels like a Wednesday when it's actually a a Thursday or a Tuesday or whatever, or it, it feels like it should be Friday, something like that. When you're moving or in the process of moving, every day just feels like today. And it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It's just today. And you have stuff you need to deal with today. I digress, though. Whenever this Kyle Fuller situation thing went down, it was interesting to write about because this is something that you don't see a whole lot, especially as it pertains to the Packers. And even though the Bears ended up matching the deal for Fuller just about two two hours after the Packers offered it, It was still an interesting look into Brian Gutekunst's free agent philosophy. The details. Packers signed Fuller to an offer sheet. He had been tagged as a uh, with the transition tag by the Chicago Bears, which means that it wasn't a guaranteed deal. Well, it was a fully guaranteed deal, uh, but other teams still had the chance to sign Fuller to offer sheets. And if the Bears decided not to match those offers, they would get no compensation for Fuller as he went to that new team. But they do have the right of first refusal. The deal was reportedly four years and $56 million, but there is more to it than that. More on that in a second. And the Bears, like I said, they ultimately matched the deal about two years after it was offered. Some thoughts on this. First, cash flow is way more important than the total dollar amount here. $56 million averages out to just a fuzz more than Fuller was set to make this year playing under the transition tag. But instead of just being for one year and just under $13 million, the Bears now are on the hook with Fuller for two years and about $29 million at the very least because of where the cash is structured in this free agent contract. I think that's significant because the Bears could have avoided this situation, and they didn't. Just over a year ago, the Bears had the option to pick up Kyle Fuller's fifth-year option, being a first-round pick as he was. That would have had them paying in the neighborhood of around $8 million for Fuller for the 2018 season. They didn't do that. Then they signed him to the transition tag for a guaranteed $13 million. 
that they didn't have to do that either. They could have hit him with the franchise tag. They could have done a deal like the one he ultimately signed and kept him around. Now, because of what the Packers did, they are forced into a contract situation that is not necessarily of their choosing. They didn't get to write the terms of this deal. To me, this is how bad teams stay bad. Um, All of that plays into this decision for both the Bears and the Packers, and I think it was an interesting way for the Packers to at least yank the Bears around a little bit. To really get Fuller, they probably would have had to pay quite a bit more because you really have to make it a no-brainer for the team to let him go. If they're willing to tag him in the first place, obviously they want to keep him around for at least a year. If you want to get him away from the from the team that has tagged him with the transition tag, the, the Packers were going to have, to have to overpay. They didn't do that, but they did put the Bears in of a bit of a bind. Some questions, though. Was this a desperation move, having struck out at the other uh, on the other players at the top end of the cornerback market? Was this desperation from Brian Gutekunst and the Packers? I don't think so, but if you want to spin it that way and you see it as a desperation move, I also wouldn't argue with you because I think the Packers really do need to upgrade their cornerback group and they have not done so. And this was one way for them to take one last shot at the top end of that cornerback market. They do need help at corner. And this was a long shot to get help there. Uh, And they took it. So if you want to say that it was a desperation move, I wouldn't fight you. I don't think it was. I think it was just a good exploring, like he said, every available avenue for acquiring talent. But I can see how it could be seen as a desperation move. Here's an interesting thing, though. Would Fuller actually have been any help? Well, in one way, yes, absolutely for sure, because the Packers have a need for at least one starting corner, probably two, Uh, another outside corner and a slot corner slash nickel corner, whatever you want to call it. They need bodies at the cornerback position. Fuller was pretty solid in 2017. He missed all of 2016 due to injury. Uh, And he was uh, up and down prior to that. Had a great rookie year, a little bit of a regression in 2015. But he's no less proven than any of the other corners towards the top end of the free agent market. So I think he probably would have helped had he ended up in Green Bay. I don't know if he would have been like superstar good, uh, but he's better than their other options on the roster right now. So I think it, it would have been a good signing for the Packers. And he's probably better than the other sort of second-tier corners on the market. Moving right along, uh, today, Tuesday, very early this morning, um, news broke that Morgan Burnett is going to be heading off to Pittsburgh on a three-year, $14.5 million deal. Reportedly, the Packers did not make much, if any, effort to retain him. Not super surprising, but it is noteworthy since this is the first time this offseason that the Packers have lost a free agent. I wrote last month about how Burnett is basically the the poster boy for how the Packers handle their own free agents, and it played out pretty much how I expected it would. Uh, I didn't really expect Burnett back. I thought he would have been good to bring back, but um, it's not a big surprise that he is he's going to be playing for another team in 2018. The money, however, is lower than I thought it was going to be. I thought he would average at least in the neighborhood of six six to seven million. The safety market pretty pretty cold right now. Um, even Tyron Matthew got only seven million dollars for one year, though there were some other factors there. He wanted to play for Houston because it's close to home, and so on. But very very tough time to be an NFL free agent safety right now. Questions though. 
uh, about this deal. Should the Packers have kept Morgan Burnett? I say yes, um, especially at the cost. Uh, if the asking price had been three years, $14.5 million from the get-go, I think the Packers may have been interested in that. But if Burnett and his agent led with that $8.5 million number that came out early in the process, I think the Packers may have just said, nah, come back to us with another offer and we'll talk. I would be surprised to learn that they ever came back. He probably just took this deal when he got it from the Steelers. And uh, Burnett just said, you know, if you're not interested in offering us a deal right off the bat, we're just going to move on. Can't blame him for that. You want to be respected by your employer if you can. Uh, I wouldn't say the Packers were disrespecting Burnett, but they, they, again, didn't want to bid against themselves, and they refused to do so. So Burnett is off to Pittsburgh. What does that mean for the Packers in the short term? Can Josh Jones step up? I am skeptical as to whether or not Josh Jones can step up. Uh, he certainly did some of the things the Packers expect from somebody in that sort of Morgan Burnett kind of role last year. That Cincinnati game is absolutely everything that you could pos- possibly hope for out of Josh Jones. All over the place, making tackles left, right, and up the middle. Two sacks, rushing the passer. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Unfortunately, we never really saw that from Jones over the remainder of the season. He did have some struggles in coverage, though towards the end in Green Bay, Burnett himself was having some struggles in coverage as he started to lose a step in the secondary. Um, The Mike Pettin factor is a big unknown here because we don't know how he is going to try to use Josh Jones or any of the other safeties for that matter. I am more confident in Pettin getting some things out of Josh Jones than I am in Dom Capers getting some things out of Josh Jones. It seemed like Capers was trying to make even a relatively simple role for Jones more complicated than it has had to be, and he ended up putting him in some situations where it was not going to be easy for Jones to succeed no matter what he did. I think Pettin is going to be more capable of getting Jones into a good position than Capers was, and as a result, he may find more success in 2018. I do think the Packers are going to miss Burnett's communication, uh, the way that he led that secondary and really organized their whole defense, but I also think that he is another replaceable part for the Packers, and this is just the way that these things sort of go. So where do we go from here? Uh, a couple things that w- that we got to talk about. Uh, remaining Packers free agents, uh, fixing cornerbacks, and heading towards the NFL draft. First and foremost, those Packers free agents remaining. I think there are two real interesting Packers free agents still on the market. Richard Rodgers for one and Jeff Janis for the other. Uh, I don't think Richard Rodgers has a lot of incentive to sign with anybody other than the Green Bay Packers, and I think the Packers will probably ultimately bring him back. He's going to be affordable because he's a pretty limited player, and he's pretty much uh, scraped the ceiling for what he is going to do as an NFL player. The good thing about Richard Rodgers is you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. The bad thing about Richard Rodgers is you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. It's not going to be a whole lot. He's not going to stretch the middle of the field, not going to block particularly well, but he's also not going to screw it up for you. And if he does, it's probably because you put him in a bad situation as opposed to something that Rodgers himself has done. Jeff Janis, a bit more of an interesting case. I think he still has a value as a special teams player. 
Uh, I do not believe Jeff Janis is going to go to another team and suddenly figure out how to play wide receiver in the NFL. I think he is hurt a little bit by the lack of creativity in the Packers offense, but even when he has had opportunities, he has not consistently delivered. He had 200 snaps uh, as a receiver, not this year, the year prior, just did not did not do much of anything at all. We've tried it. Tried to make it work. Hasn't worked. Jeff Janis is not going to morph into an NFL receiver. But I think that it would be interesting to see if the Packers end up bringing him back. He's been out there for more than a week now. Haven't heard a sniff about him on the free agent market. And I would guess that he at least gets a look at coming back to Green Bay. And it's probably going to be towards the veteran minimum. Not a, a, More than that, but not a lot more. Moving forward, the Packers do have a problem at cornerback. They need some. Um, how they go how they go about addressing that is going to be interesting. I do think that they are going to end up signing someone to play corner. Who that is uh, is a question. Remains to be a question. A big big mystery. Uh, who the Packers end up pursuing on the free agent market. We are firmly into the second tier of corners there, and even starting to dig down towards those third and fourth tier free agent corners, that's fine uh, as long as you then probably pursue someone in the draft. Uh, I would not hold my breath for a trade. I've seen the the name Patrick Peterson come up far too often to be even remotely realistic. It's not going to happen. The Packers are not going to do a blockbuster trade for Patrick Peterson, and I don't know why the Cardinals would want to do that either. Um, it, It just would be befuddling there. He's one of their few remaining good players. Why would you want to get rid of him? I don't understand it. But there are some guys that I think are out there that the Packers could be interested in on the free agent market. Ross Cockrell was one guy I thought would go a lot quicker than he has. Uh, He was a guy we mentioned way back in our Let's Go Free Agent Shopping um, episode of this year podcast about a month ago. About six feet tall, 190 pounds, ran not particularly well at the combine, 4.56 at the combine, a 4.44 at his pro day, uh, was traded to the Giants in September. He played really well for the Giants, 700 snaps, allowed a passer rating of just 70.3 when he was thrown at, uh, had three interceptions and 11 passes defended. Just 26 years old, I think this is a guy that the Packers could slot in and be just fine uh, at one boundary corner. I think that'd be a, a good deal for them. Uh, less excited about a guy like Dominique Rogers cromartie We've gotten a couple questions about him. He is tall, six foot two, uh, but he's 32 years old and hasn't produced a, an interception since 2016. He did have six interceptions in 2016, but none in 2017, and he's definitely on the back end of his career. Think of him someone somewhere along the lines more of a Devon House type player. Uh, just a, a stopgap that you probably are going to want to replace after a year anyway. Then you've got Bashad Breland. Very, very interesting story in free agency because he had a deal done with the Panthers, but then failed his physical due to a weird injury to his foot. Apparently stepped on something and got it cut uh, when he was in the Dominican Republic or somewhere in the Caribbean. It got infected, and now they're going to have to do a skin graft, and he, it's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be a while before he is ready to take a physical, again, a physical that he can pass. That, to me, means the Packers should be watching him very, very closely. Uh, He is only 26 years old. He's been a full-time starter ever since he was drafted by the Washington Redskins. I think this is a no-brainer. This should be somebody that you're considering. Then you've got a name like Tremont Williams, 
Everybody knows Tremont Williams. Everybody knows what he's about. Again, like Rodgers Cromartie, probably a one-year stopgap type of player. But, you know, those guys can be useful. And it seemed like last year in Arizona, he was a very, very useful player. Ended up being one of their better defensive players. It would probably be worth it to try to bring him to Green Bay for one year more. Finally, what does free agency so far mean for the draft? I think the Packers are setting themselves up to have to go defense, defense, defense in this draft, at least early. Uh, They need edge rushers. They need help at cornerback. Uh, They can use help elsewhere in the defense, maybe at inside linebacker, depending who falls to them. They're going to have to go defense and defense heavy here in the NFL draft. Despite having needs at receiver, despite having needs on the offensive line, despite probably needing a tight end somewhere in there as well, they're going to have to draft defense. And uh, that's unfortunate because it cuts off the opportunity to maybe shore up some positions that you could have improved in the draft that you, you that you don't have to draft for need. Uh, the Packers are going to end up having to draft for need if things continue to play out as they have in free agency so far. But a long way to go. I will remind you that as we are recording this, it is only the first day of spring. It is March 20th. Games are not won on March 20th. I suppose you can lose them if you have a terrible, terrible offseason. But things are not going to be completely derailed by what the Packers are doing this week. There is a long, long way to go here, and I think things are going to work out just fine. Just have some patience. It'll be there. While I've got you here, a funny, funny thing I've noticed over the course of free agency so far that's come up again and again and again. Tyron Matthew mentioned this uh, as he was doing his free agent tour. Kirk Cousins mentioned this. Um, Everybody who signs a free agent deal, it seems, wants to say, you know, this wasn't about money. I just wanted to go a place where I could win. That may be true, but we don't have to pretend that money isn't at least a small factor in some of these decisions, do we? I mean, come on. If you had the opportunity to make more money or less money, nine times out of 10, probably 99 times out of 100, you're going to pick the opportunity to make more money. Money makes everything in your life easier. It makes your your life less stressful. It allows you to pursue the things that you want to pursue. It gives you a lot of security. Money is great when you have it, and it's great when you can get it. It's foolish to pretend that it's not at least a small factor in these guys' decision-making, and it's foolish to beat up on them uh, for talking openly about wanting to make more money. Everybody wants to make more money. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Let's not beat up guys for that. On the flip side... Let's not pretend like teams also uh, aren't capable of just making decisions for money. The Packers have done it uh, this offseason already. Releasing Jordy Nelson was purely a money-related decision. I mean, what possibly could you have against Jordy Nelson, the human being? He's as unassailable of a person from a character standpoint as you could possibly be. He's been a cornerstone of the franchise for a decade now. Uh, he has a immaculate off-the-field record. He's got a beautiful family. He adopts kids in needy situations. I mean, come on. Any reason that you have to move off, uh, move on from Jordy Nelson is purely money-related, and that's okay to admit that. It's a business. It's a business on both sides. Players are in the business of making as much money as they can in their very limited careers. 
teams are in the business of saving as much money as they can so they can use it other places. We can all admit that, and I think we would all be better off if we stopped pretending that this whole thing isn't at least in part about money. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tolerating that one-week break. Uh, I don't anticipate us having any breaks on the future, but who knows? If we end up buying a house here in the near future, uh, things could be changing very, very rapidly again. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter as well. If you'd like to reach us via email, do it at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do always uh, covet your support. Chuck in a buck for us at the Power Sweep or Patreon.com slash the Power Sweep if you'd like to support us and look good as you do it. I know there are a few of the, you out there who are doing this. Buy a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a long sleeve t-shirt or a sticker or something else uh, via our Teespring store. You can click the store link at thepowersweep.com. And as always, the best and freest and easiest way to support the Power Sweep is to leave us a review on iTunes. It's free, it's easy, it's fast, and it is a great way to support the Power Sweep and Blue 58. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps me do a better job on the show and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week here on Blue 58. (laughs) 